We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning. I uh, I pray I'm as excited about this at nine at ten thirty as I am at nine forty five. Well, uh, this is way above my pay grade. Uh, I don't think I've ever taught a lesson that I felt more profound than this one. I want to talk to you this morning about a, disi- a disciplined disciple. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There are boundaries that when they are crossed and violated, whether by nations or individuals, God has always had some external force to bring people back within those boundaries. And the government that they rebelled against became far more penal in the aftermath of their rebellion. Either nations or individuals discipline themselves within the guidelines of godliness or God will impose discipline from without. There's no escape. God has his way in the whirlwind and the storm Job said he is of one mind who can turn him for that which he has determined that how he shall also perform. If you have any breadth of understanding about the history of Israel, uh, I recently have finished reading through the Bible. It took me a couple months you see a microcosm in the nation of Israel. Most of the prophecies of Israel deal with their rebellion and God turning them over to some foreign despotic nation. Uh, God will only allow a people to stray, make a certain distance of departure from the truth. And he always brought in a Babylon, a Persia, a Greece, or a Rome. And this becomes a historical template, not only about the nation of Israel, and not only about the governments of our world today, but also of us as individual. This same thing will happen to Russia. It will happen to China. It will happen to Iran. It will happen to the United States of America. God will bring an outside force in punishment for our violation of his law and his word. 
and out of that, the revival will come and God will reestablish his government in our life. When a nation lacks the discipline that breaches a certain level, in Israel, it was always about child sacrifice. They could build their groves, they could live in their idolatry, and it seemed like God could tolerate it. But once the nation transgressed into the place where they offered their children as sacrifices to Molech and these pagan gods, God had enough, and he cut them off. It's been a mystery to me why God has allowed from 1972 to our present day for our nation to survive. It's a miracle to me. Uh, other nations, God imposed restraint from without. It happened to Germany. It happened to Italy. It happened to Japan. It will happen to every despotic nation or a nation that denies God and strays from God. It will happen to them. Every nation seems to begin by laying the foundations in restraint. And sometime in the future, they fell into ruin through license. No, no, no government, no nation, no historical period has survived once they fell into debauchery. You cannot find any record in history where any nation has taken a path of debauchery that God has allowed that nation and that kingdom to survive. Now, there are two means of discipline in our world. There's two means of discipline within your life and my life, and that is discipline that comes from without, and there's discipline that comes from within. When discipline comes from without, the nucleus of that is always dictatorship. It is always despotic. It is always penal. What I want to consider with you today is the primacy, the absolute necessity of being self-disciplined and having your government within your own heart and life and never needing a government imposed from you from the outside. The survival of liberty is always based on the internal ability of people to govern themselves and to hold themselves within defined moral boundaries set by God. It's imperative to living. Discipline is the secret of personal living. Discipline is the secret of spiritual living. It is necessary for you to excel as an individual as well as to excel as a nation or a society or culture is that you're disciplined from the inside. What I will argue today is 
as a nation and as individuals, we stand at a crossroads. And we will determine our own individual destiny by whether our government comes from the outside or comes from the inside. Your future, my future, will be determined by the level of our self-discipline. To the extent that you are unable to discipline yourself, someone will impose that discipline upon you. There's girls that have left home and said, I'm not going to put up with my father's rules anymore. I'm going to get married. You just jump from the fire and pan into the fire. A boy leaves home and said, I'm not going to obey your rules anymore, and he goes and joins the military. God always has a bigger hammer. God always has a hammer big enough and powerful enough to bring you back into government. Somebody is going to impose authority on your life. A boss, a government. If you've ever noticed, there's somebody in your childhood that you always had a struggle getting along with. Always a person that you had difficulty interacting with. And if you're aware, you will understand that as you grow in life, God always brings that same kind of person back into your life. Most missionaries leave the mission field not because of a lack of finance, not because of a lack of a burden, but they leave the mission field because they couldn't get along with the other, another missionary on that field with them. Your self-discipline will impose financial limitations in your life. There will be spiritual impositions that come from God in your life if you lack the ability of self-discipline. Most of the failed health in our world and especially in our nation all deals with diet. People just do not eat properly. And disease is an unforgiving dictator. You can only violate the law of health for so long until ill health comes to impose its influence on your life. There are people who live on the financial edge to the place where they have no options in life if something catastrophic happens in their life because they lack the self-discipline of managing their money and living within their budget. The sexual license in our world has brought on all kinds of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, and they continue to evolve, and they continue to get more and more difficult to medicate. People start out with drugs recreationally. They start out 
uh, enjoying them until they eventually become their master and they're dominated by the drug. People start off in pornography and it is some exciting thing until it becomes an addiction that grabs a hold of them and, and masters every waking moment of their life. Self-control is no longer an American characteristic, not in public morals, not in respect for the law, not in family life. It no longer exists in America. Many disadvantaged groups or people blame the populace for their plight, but it's mostly the political leaders who have allowed an environment to exist and exist and exist that foment. When, when anarchy runs amok, we no longer seek to control a lack of discipline, but what we do is we legalize it. We legalize it. We make it lawful. We've, we've made it lawful to be a pervert. We've made it lawful to slay babies. we made it lawful to live any way you want to live. It won't be long till marijuana will be legalized for any use you want to use it for. And on the heels of that, it won't be long before fentanyl and heroin and, and meth and all that other will fall right in path. You'll be able to do whatever you want to do because when we cannot govern it, we have a tendency to legalize it. But God will never legalize it. Never. Our political leaders have allowed cities and neighborhoods and businesses to be looted, burned, and destroyed. Last year, I've never seen the amount of chaos on the streets of America and in the cities of America in my lifetime as I've seen. When the same event happened in the capital where our political leaders are, they have surrounded it with thousands of troops because politicians think they're more important than the average citizen's. They're telling you something. They're telling you something. As a culture, we started this nation. This nation started with people that had virtue. There was a pioneering aspect, an initiative in their lives. From small villages, they became colonies, and they expanded democracy across this continent. By example, we have altered the governments of Europe without a war. But as often happens, when liberty is placed in the hands of those who have no self-discipline, the path to ruin becomes an inevitable destination. In fact, Thomas Jefferson made the statement that I will repent if in the aftermath of our founding fathers, this nation degradates and spoils the liberty that has been purchased at such a high price 
and given to you. Freedom within the banks of self-discipline builds great nations. It builds great individuals. It builds great families, great cultures. But once outside of the banks of self-discipline, it becomes devastating. There are lives sitting here today that are on the road to ruin because there is no self-discipline in their life. How does our text address the discussion that we're having today? Broad is the gateway, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and the majority take that path. Deep within our nature, there are moods and attitudes that resist this truth. We think we're special. We think we can get away with things that other people have been disciplined for. Life, real life, rich life, the free life that we want can only be had inside of government, self-government. When we resist restraint, Jesus said the unnarrow path always leads to destruction. Whether it's in an individual, whether it's in a society, a nation, or the world. Anytime you are not governed within, you're on the path to destruction. Spiritually, morally, financially, health-wise, governmentally. So what is the prerequisite that every person must have in their life? It's narrow. Attention is narrow. Concentration is narrow. Decisiveness is narrow. Because if I make a decision and I'm decisive about it, I have to eliminate all these other options and I have to choose this one. I have to make this choice. You cannot decide vaguely. You cannot make a choice in general. You have to be particular. Particular. Do you understand that the sports world has a better understanding of self-discipline than the church does? Because, number one, every athlete understands he didn't get where he is by himself. He had a coach. He had a coach, somebody who could teach him. He may have had the skills and the, the athleticism to excel in a certain area, but he needed somebody to focus that talent and that genius in an area. Tom Glavin was a Hall of Fame pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. He was a lefty. He had in his basement a 50-pound bag of pinto beans, and he spent three hours a day, every day of his life, thrusting his arm and his hand into that bag of beans, strengthening his muscles so that he could throw that ball at a certain speed, throw it and make it do certain things. He practices by an hour, by the hour. A boxer runs 20 miles a day, skips rope at least three hours a day, hits the speed bag, hits the 
heavy bag, spars, endless hours in the round, all for one night in a ring over a crown that is corruptible. A decisive life excludes. It defines what it's going to focus on. It wills this, not that. The vague mind wanders a thousand roads to nowhere. Life stalls without discipline to decide, to choose, to focus. Loyalty is narrow. When you get married, your focus becomes extremely narrow because you eliminate this one and that one and the other one and you choose this one. And all of your love and affection must be centered on that one. A choice and decision binds you in a very narrow way, in a very narrow concept. Jesus taught in very pragmatic principles. He didn't leave things loose and vague and undefined. He spoke in specifics. An unbridled horse takes you nowhere, and neither does an unbridled life. What a bridle is to a horse, it's literally a horse has a teeth missing in their upper jaw, and the bit of the bridle fits right in in that vacant place between the teeth. And basically the rider has like two fingers in its jaw. When you pull on that bridle, you want to get that horse to where if you lay that bridle over to the left side, he's going to turn left because it the bridle lays up against his right neck and he knows he wants you to turn. And you lay it the other side. You want to get where you don't have to pull and get into his mouth. You want that subtleness. You want him to respond to that pressure. And God is the same way. God starts in our spiritual life with putting pressure on us. But he wants to come to the place where David said, as the eye of the servant is to his master, and as the eye of the mistress is to her her maiden, so is my eye unto you on God. God doesn't want to control us with a profound voice like Sinai. God wants to control us with just a look. He wants to be that connected to us. The explosion with an internal combustion engine occurs in a confined space at a very confined time. And because it occurs at a specific time and a specific place, It produces power to move your engine, your automobile forward. That same explosion without the discipline of space and time would blow up that engine and you'd get nowhere. Just noise or worse, destruction. Things have to happen. In the western United States, the Colorado River flows freely for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. But when it reaches the Arizona and the California border, it's made to flow across the Hoover Dam. And by narrowing it and disciplining it within that narrow flow, it provides the electricity and power that lights all of Southern California, Arizona, Nevada, and most of Utah. 
one of the widest gaps in human experience is the gap between what we say we want and what we're really willing to discipline ourselves to have. The overwhelming majority of people here today want to lose 20 pounds. Most of us would. There's a few of us that don't need to, but most of us would. The desire is there, but the discipline's not. That's why we don't lose it, because we don't have the self-discipline. There are people who want to get past things. They want mastery over hurts and faults and failures of some person in their life in the past. We want to get past things spiritually. We want to get past things vocationally. We want to get past things relationally. We want to get past things financially. But we mostly lead inattentive, meandering, indecisive lives because we can never pull the trigger. The path to success is narrow. It's narrow. It's pinpoint narrow. Does it appear to you that much of America lives in a fool's paradise? I am amazed at how broad the First Amendment rights of free speech has become, and yet so narrow in some spheres. The broadened definition of civil rights. Civil rights is a noble cause when it's done for noble reasons. But when civil rights is given to give some person sexual license for decadent behavior, that's a prostitution of a civil right. When it broadens the definition of what a family is, when it broadens the definition of what sex is, I'm so grateful I grew up in a two-sex society. We now live in one where you can choose your own sex. My son has the answer to that. You pull down their pants, and if they got it, they're one sex. If they don't, they're another. It's pretty simple. Broad is the way, wide is the gate. The weakness of the majority is this, is rarely has the majority ever been right. They're mostly wrong. The majority of the America I grew up in, the majority of people believe that the limitation of rights in America by race was the right thing to do. And the majority was wrong. The change was brought about by the sacrifice of a few of the minority. And the cost to them was extremely high to pay the price. But the price of freedom was worth whatever the cost.
they paid the price. We need to appreciate the price that they paid. Nothing worth having can be had by any other means than through self-discipline. And the civil rights movement of the 1960s was an extremely self-disciplined movement. The human resents restraint and repression. We have from the very beginning, look at the garden. Adam and Eve had one rule, just one. One rule. But they couldn't even live within that. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And we adamantly follow that passion. Have you ever heard, I just want to be myself? Well, which self is that that you want to be? Because we're all more than one self. Every one of you are. Have you ever had an internal conflict? Who are you conflicting with? Yeah, if not another self. Of all the selves that you're capable of being, here's God's question. Which one do you want to be? You need to focus on that self and focus all your attention on becoming that one self. Only God has one mind. Only one God, only God has one central cause, one central purpose. If we're of one mind, why do we ever change our minds? Which mind will set in the seat of government over who you want to be? Some of you here today are at an age that you still have the chance to determine which self you're going to be. For some of us, that vessel sailed decades ago. Which mind will sit in the seat of government over your life? Your self-disciplined self or your undisciplined self? You're either mastered by God or you're mastered by self. And I'm going to tell you, if you're mastered by self, you're in for ruin. So we have to choose one chosen self out of all that we are capable of being. We have to choose the self that we're going to be. There has to be some hierarchy in your life. There has to be some priority in your life. What you will love, what you will not love. What you will value, what you will not value. What interests you, what you really want. We have some priority or else we live in a confused state of never becoming anybody. We never know who we are. We never know Self-government and the will rises to govern who I become, either a disciplined self or an undisciplined self. 
not all the selves that I'm capable of being can direct my path to mastery. If that path by default becomes extremely broad, have you ever seen anything worth having come out of a committee? If you want to kill something, just give it to a committee. Just let a committee meet and, 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 and you know, anytime Congress sends some bill to a committee, you know it's dead. The surest means of squelching an idea is just give it to a committee. There's a committee that lives on the inside of your life. You have to have one ruling purpose of your life. You have to have one source of truth that defines everything in your life. Anarchy rules from having too many selves and none are in control. Until America returns to the place that whether you're Democrat or Republican or an Independent, you agree, we all agree on what defines an American. And until we return to that place of what an American is, we're going to live in this constant state of chaos because there's a broad confusion of what it means to be an American. And until the church comes in an agreement of what the church is and what it is not, what a Christian is and what a Christian is not, we are destined to live in ambiguity. A confused, distorted, fuzzy, out-of-focus life. The principle is balance. One of the sad things is that we all know people who are in their senior years that are just now beginning to decide who they are and what they're going to be and what government is going to rule their life. And as sad as that is, at least they have come to the place of discipline. You know, of all the paths that Jesus might have taken, from all the messiahs he was capable that he might have been, he said, to this end was I born, for this cause have I come to this hour. He had a divine purpose. All his life became self-discipline to become that self that Messiah, that Savior, and not another. He had a choice. Proverbs said, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. This is the blueprint of self-discipline. Do you realize that on the battlefield of Elah, that David won the biggest battle before he ever went in the valley to face the giant. He won the battle over himself when he was accosted by his brothers. We know your naughtiness. We know you're here to show off. He 
he won that battle. He had to be self-possessed. He had to control himself before he'd ever dominate that giant. Until you learn to dominate yourself. And all of us are still learning how to do that. But until you learn to dominate yourself, you'll never slay a giant. You'll never excel in life until you learn to master yourself. Everybody wants to do as they please. Everyone wants to believe what they want to believe. You know, this is the 21st century. We live in a different age. We live in a different society. We live in a different culture. One of the things I'm grateful for is I've lived long enough that I have no clue what this generation is about. And I'm glad I feel that way. I'm glad that they are strange and alien to me. The property lines of morality and social mores have been so far moved from biblical principle and the principle of the narrow and broad. I find this truth. There's a million ways to mess up your life, but there's only one way to get it right. It's that narrow. It's that narrow. No person in their right mind would mount a spirited horse with spurs on, but no bridle. You'll get the horse to moving, but you don't know where he's going. You have no control over any of that. It'll be a wild ride. I bought a mare that was 18 months old. You're not supposed to saddle a horse or break them for riding until they're two years old. So the first six months, I worked with her in a round pen to where she was like a dog. She'd follow me wherever I went. If I moved toward her, she'd step away. She kept this amount of distance between us, no matter if I had her in that round pen, she kept her eye on me. She knew as long as she watched me, I'd let her stay. But if she took her eye off of me, I'd start running her. And I'd start running her. When I first started, she'd always turn to the outside away from me. She eventually came to where she turned inside, where she could see me. And she learned that the safest place and the most comfortable place and the place she didn't have to run was right up next to me. Then when I put a saddle on her, I put a blanket on her first. I fooled with her feet. I put restraints on her feet, ropes. I put a lasso over her back, put it on her foot. She'd kick. When she stopped kicking, I'd release the pressure on the rope. I wanted her to learn that if she ever got her foot caught in a barbed wire fence, that if she couldn't get it out, she'd just stand there so she wouldn't tear up her leg. I taught her that if I put certain pressure, I didn't have to spur her. All I had to do was just slightly move up in the saddle and she'd start walking. If I continued to move forward, she'd go into a trot. If I went forward, she'd go into a gallop. If I went back, 
She'd come into a, a trot, come back. In the back of the seat, she'd stop. I got where I could ride her without a bridle. She knew if I put my right leg up against her, she was to turn left. If I put my left leg up against her, she was to turn right. Life is far more dangerous than a wild horse. And I'm talking to some kids here today that have the ability to do this. Before you spur your life forward, you better have a good handle on the reins connected to the, to the bridle. And that is yourself. You need to have government over yourself. That's the problem with this nation. It's the problem with Christianity today. It's the problem in our families. It's a problem in individuals. We have ceased to become self-disciplined. No one is ever truly free until they've been mastered by something greater than themselves. We all want our own masters. We all want our own freedom. We want freedom without restraint. And Pastor Don quoted it in early service, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Until we embrace the truth that the human heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? You've made the statement, I've made the statement. If I know my own heart, you don't know your heart. I don't know my heart. That's why David said, try me, O Lord. Know me. No one can know themselves. We need God to try our hearts to see if there be any wicked way in us. We all have the ladder down to hell. Without the restraint of truth in your life, there is no freedom. The only thing God never placed a limitation on in all of his edicts and laws was the fruit of the Spirit. He said you can have all the joy you can handle, all the peace, all the goodness, all the long-suffering, all the gentleness, all the goodness, all the faith, all the meekness, all the temperance. He said against such there is no law. I don't need to govern it. Why? Because the roots of self-discipline are all spiritual. They're all spiritual. It's faith in ends worth disciplining yourself for. If you don't have something in your life that's more important to you than life itself, you're a very poor individual. You're a very shallow individual. You have to have values that are worth dedicating yourself to. Because when your faith in those values and those principles is lost, no matter who you are, you're lost. And no matter when a nation loses them, they're lost. When I govern myself well enough from the inside, only then will I know the freedom 
of having no restraint from the outside. The goal of every pastor and the goal of every parent is to raise a generation who have enough sense to govern themselves. They don't need a pulpit to to construct and to govern their lives. They have it all from within. If a nation, as 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 a nation or an individual, after having the promising start that we have as a country and the richness of the opportunities that have been afforded us, if we prostitute it and send it away, we deserve whatever the consequences are brought upon us. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How many times have Pentecostals had a dancing fit over that scripture? The implication had nothing to do with how free you were to shout. The implication of that scripture is where the spirit of lordship is, where he is Lord of your life, in that area of your Lord. And every Christian is in some process of definition of who is king of their life. The Jews said, we will not have this man reign over us. If Jesus is king of your life, where he is Lord, because he governs your life, you have unrestrained liberty. Paul said, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistles of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. If you have to be governed externally, you're still living in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God takes the law off the tables of stone and writes them on the tablets of your heart. That's what the New Testament means, is that you no longer need external government in your life. You no longer need external discipline in your life. Jesus and Paul both warred against Pharisees and their enslaving scruples, their ancient codes of don't do this and do that and don't do the other, but do this. There are some things we will never be free from. Free living isn't free freedom from the law of living. Free thinking is a miss. There are laws to life, but they need to be imposed from the inside and not the outside. Mark Twain, in the latter years of his life, was bankrupt. He spent all the time in his latter part of life traveling the world, speaking to raise money to pay off his debts. And this was this statement, honor is harder to escape than law. There were laws that allowed him to declare bankruptcy. There was laws that allowed him to get free from his debts. 
But he said honor is harder to escape than the law. Unless there is a compass on the inside of you to steer you by, inevitably you're going to get lost in life. Your parents can only govern you for so long and to a certain extent in your life. And they want to know when they release you into adulthood that you've got enough drive and self-respect for yourself. You've got enough to honor who God has created you to be that you can take government and control of yourself. No one can be as hard on David Fuller as David Fuller is on David Fuller. No one. Unless Jesus Christ becomes the organizing center of your life, and unless he is the inner compass of who you are, though baptized according to Acts, obedient to the doctrines of the church, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. It has to be on the inside. If the beauty of spring ends in the barrenness of autumn, the reason won't be the lack of laws or outward regulation, but because the nation and an individual could not impose discipline upon themselves. You are determining your destiny. You are making the choice about your future. If there's any part of your life that is ungoverned and undisciplined, that's the area that you need to focus on and work on in your life. That's what you need to pay attention to. Because God wants disciplined disciples not unbridled. Amen. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.